This uh, morning, we are really, really pleased to welcome James from Compassion UK. Come on up, James. Um, James is going to be speaking just about the work of Compassion and bringing the word to us. Um, so, so thrilled to have you with us. Um, for maybe for those who don't, well, I, I don't know if anyone really knows you, um, tell us, who is James? Wow, that's a, a big question. Can you hear me? Am I, am I on? One second. Forgive me. Try now. This one? Okay. Yeah, so um, my name's James. I work for Compassion. I live in Birmingham, a place called Sutton Coldfield. And I, yeah, I live there with my wife, uh, Jez, and we've got three children. Okay. Uh, what? Soon, Phil, could we have this one working as well? Is that over? Oh, we'll to see that. That makes this easier. Okay. And how long have you been, what, what's your involvement with Compassion? How long have you been with Compassion? How did that happen? Yes. Yeah, so I've worked for Compassion for about four years, just over four years. Uh, before that, I was uh, I worked in the business world. I was in sales. I was a sales director for quite a big security company. But over uh, quite a long period of time, and increasingly so, I just felt God was calling me out of that. And through uh, an incredible set of circumstances, uh, an opportunity presented itself to come and work for uh, Compassion. And yeah, God has just um, been with us and, and the family throughout that whole journey. It's been incredible and why did you decide to do that what was it about compassion that that drew you well um i'm part of sutton coldfield baptist church who's uh, had a relationship with compassion as a partner church for many many years and that relationship was steered by a, a volunteer a guy called david in our church so every single coffee morning every bake sale he'd have his compassion stand up there and he'd have the the the, the, the profiles of the children and he'd be telling people all about compassion so i knew quite a lot about compassion so uh, at first I, I felt the call to go and study so i'd signed up to um to to start a uni course and I, I thought that I'd be uh, driving a taxi or doing something like that whilst I was studying. And I just, I just came across this advert and it said, didn't say it was compassion, but it said, do you want to work for an organisation that releases children from poverty in Jesus' name? And I immediately knew that that's what God was, was calling me to do. And yeah, I applied for the job and here I am today. Fantastic. That's good, right? step of faith um but so what is compassion i mean many here will, will know that it's the child sponsorship thing but what actually is compassion what's the organization all about yeah so our uh, we're a child development ministry and our mission is to release children from poverty in jesus name and we do that through holistic child development uh, one of the main models that we use is a model of child sponsorship uh, which many of you will be familiar with um, and Compassion's work is uh, based on three pillars. They are that we are Christ-centered, so we're an overtly Christian evangelical organization. We, we want to help people, but we also want to share with them the eternal hope that can only be found in relationship with Jesus. We're church-driven, so we partner with local churches. So when we go into a community, we don't uh, open up a development center. We don't send people into that community. We find a local church that's already ministering to, to, their, to the children, and we help equip and empower that church to be the hands and feet of Jesus for their community. And we are child-focused because children are the most affected by poverty, and they are the least equipped to change their circumstances. So you talk about poverty. 
what does that look like in some of the places where compassion's working? Yeah, so compassion work in areas of extreme poverty. So that's the most severe kind of poverty. Um, so that's currently defined as living on less than $2.10 per day. Uh, so that's equivalent for us here in the UK of about £1.75. So that's that's using something called purchasing power parity, a term that economists like to use. So that's equivalent to us here living in the UK, having £1.75 a day to live on. And when you think about that, that in most of the communities where we work, you don't just have to buy food and pay for somewhere to live. If you want to send your children to school, you have to pay for that. If you want to go and see a doctor, you have to pay for that. If you need medicine, you have to pay for that. If you get sick and you can't work... There's no sick pay, there's no benefits, there's no welfare. So that's the reality that uh, 356 million children in the world live in every day. And you work across lots of continents. It's not just Africa, is it? Uh, yeah, so we work in 29 different countries. You can see the map, the, the countries coloured white. So across Central and South America, in Africa in, and in Asia as well. Amazing. I know there are lots of charities that are trying to release children from poverty. There are lots of charities working in Jesus' name, but there's not a lot of charities and organisations releasing people, children from poverty in Jesus' name. And there's even less who are actively partnering with local churches to empower them to do the ministry that will do that. So we love, love Compassion. Really excited um, for today. Uh, as a church, we are going to get an opportunity later on. Um, you are going to get an opportunity to be involved in sponsoring a, um, a child through Compassion. Um, so to just be aware of that. Um, but I'm going to pray. Then we're going to see what the mic situation is. And then we're going to get into it. So Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here by your spirit. Thank you that you are at work. And I want to pray that you would speak to us now through James, through your word, that our hearts will be stirred. That you would break our hearts for what breaks your heart. And that you might challenge us into what you are calling us as individuals and us as a church into to see your kingdom come and your will be done, not just here in Wigston, but across the world. Because we know that your kingdom is a global kingdom and your plans are global plans and you call us into that. So we pray that we would be receptive to what you have to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I think your head mic might be working. Is it working? Yes, it's working. Boom. There we go. Let's see if the clicker is working. We'll try that in a second. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. Who's had a good week this week? Anyone had a good week this week? Yeah. Two of you. Excellent. <laughs> uh, I, I've had a good week. I've had an interesting week. I've had a week that has been full of interruptions. And uh, I, just to give you a bit of a flavour for the type of person I, I am, I, I don't like interruptions. <laughs> I'm a very organised, intentional person. I like to make a plan for what I'm going to do in a day, and I like to stick to that plan. And I like to bask in the glory of ticking everything off on my to-do list at the end of a day. Anyone, anyone with me on that? But I've had a week of interruptions. This week, my wife announced 
that we were going to be spring cleaning our house and that we were all to be involved in helping out. And of course, I was remiss in my planning, not thinking that we should be spring cleaning our house in November, of course. And that, that's been my world. Last Saturday, my wife went away for, for the night. And so I was looking after the, the children. And my son, our eldest, he's 14. He was, uh, he was going uh, out to an event. It's quite a formal event. It was a kind of gala-style event. Uh, him and all his friends were going. It was a big deal. He was looking forward to it. He bought a suit. He was getting ready. He was looking smart. He was due to be there at 7 o'clock. And uh, we were picking up a friend along the way. Uh, and at six o'clock, I get a call, a distress call. He's upstairs getting ready. I'm downstairs. Dad, Dad. And I go upstairs to find him. And for some reason, known only in the realms of a 14-year-old's mind, he decided that with an hour to go before this big event, that he needed to give himself a haircut. <laughs> and so he got my clippers... And he'd started to run the clippers over his head, only for the battery to run out about three strokes in. And so he, um, he was there. He was ashen-faced. He was crying. He was distressed. He had half a shaved head, a pile of hair on the floor. And after a, a minor moment of indignation on my part... Um, we managed to find a local barber that was open after six o'clock. By 20 past six, he was in the chair. By 25 to seven, we were back home. He was getting his suit back on, finishing getting ready. At quarter to seven, we picked his friend up. And at seven o'clock, the two of them strolled into this event with smiles on their faces. That's the week that, that I've had. Uh, on Monday, I, took the, I often take a Monday off. Uh, and on Monday, I took some time out. And my plan was to go for a, a walk, maybe a couple of hours. I love being outdoors. I love nature. And I wanted to go and spend a couple of hours and, and really just spend some time with God and uh, take our little sausage dog, Gizmo, for a walk as well. He hadn't been walked very much recently, so he needed a good walk as well. And uh, I went out. I dropped my daughter to school and was heading straight into the park. And one of the things I wanted to do is just to begin to inquire with God as to what he wanted me to share here this morning. But before I got to the park, before I'd even got the entrance to the park, I got a phone call from my wife saying, is my car booked in for a service today? Yeah, it is. Right, I'll meet you home in 20 minutes. So my two-hour walk turned into a 20-minute, slightly angry march around the park. And I got home and thinking, well, that was a waste of time. I didn't really feel anything from God. But just as I was about to get into the car, I heard a whisper of a word. Nothing out loud, just on the inside, a whisper of this word, kingdom. And I was immediately drawn to Matthew 6, 33, where it says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all week I've been hearing this word kingdom. I got in the car and a podcast came on. It was talking about discipleship and it was saying, uh, if we are to be Jesus's disciples, we need to do the things that Jesus did. And what did Jesus talk about? What is the thing that he talked about most of all? He talked about the kingdom of God. As John Mark Comer said, Jesus went around from place to place professing the kingdom of God and then demonstrating it. So what is it? What is the kingdom of God? You know, if you've been in, the, in church, if you've been in a Christian environment for any length of time, you would have heard this word a lot. But what does it actually 
mean? What is the kingdom of God? In the English language, we, um, we think of kingdom, and it probably most denotes a place, doesn't it? We live in the United Kingdom. But in the original Greek and Hebrew language, kingdom is more of an active word. It, it means more the rule and reign of a monarch over their people. That's what, that's what the writers meant when they were using the word kingdom. And from the very outset of his ministry, Jesus talked about it in Matthew 4. He talked, uh, 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 Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. To repent means a change of mind, a change of thinking, a change of direction. So already Jesus is saying that there's something different about this kingdom. We pray the Lord's Prayer. We say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're saying, our Father, who God is, in heaven, where he is. Holy, hallowed is your name, something of his nature. And then we say, your kingdom come. So it's something to do with the nature, with the identity, and with the uh, ownership of God in a place. And if you started talking in any other context about a new rule and reign happening in a place, in a people, you'd be talking about an invasion, wouldn't you? You'd be talking about a new ruler, a new king coming and conquering the geographical place and then taking and establishing rule over their people. But that wasn't what Jesus was coming to say. Jesus is the most influential person who's ever walked the face of the earth, yet he did not seek influence. He didn't perpetually ask people to like and subscribe. He didn't seek any political power. He didn't uh, seek to rise up an army. His kingdom is different. His kingdom is a peaceful invasion. N.T. Wright says this, the whole point of the kingdom of God is Jesus has come to bear witness to the truth, which is nonviolent. When God wants to take charge of the world, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the poor and the meek. The rule and reign of God's kingdom is not about so much a place, but it's about us. It's about the hearts and minds of people. But it is a rule and reign that is available to us but it's also an option. It's optional. We can freely choose to seek it or not to seek it. This isn't a tyrannical ruler taking charge. This is a kingdom where we get to choose whether we want to be part of it or not. So what does that look like for us? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own communities? What does it mean beyond that? for the world that we live in today. Well, to seek first means it must be a priority. We cannot put everything on our to-do list and tick all of those things off and get to the bottom and say, right, I've now got time to seek the kingdom of God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. That means we have to put it first. We have to put it top. It has to be a priority. And in seeking there is an ongoing nature to it. Seeking the kingdom of God is not a transaction. It's not an event. 
It's an ongoing process. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. And a more complete translation of that is ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. Seeking the kingdom of God is a journey, not a destination. It's an ongoing process that we have to put God first and continually put him first again and again each and every day. What does it mean for us? It means we have to let go. It means we have to relinquish control. It means we have to say like Jesus, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And that's hard. It's hard to let go. It's hard for somebody like me to let go because I like to know what I'm doing. I like to plan. I like to put my list together. But sometimes we have to let go of the plans that we make and say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Sometimes our, our control comes from a good place. It comes from a heart that we want to be effective. We want to do good things. We want to serve God, but we want to do it in our way. Tyler Staten says this, control is a good desire that is out of order. Control is a surface level symptom of a soul level desire for fruitfulness. We want to live consequential lives. We want to make a marked difference in the world to matter in both a personal and profound way. But when we clinch our jaws and put that desire into action, we end up exhausted and overwhelmed. We have to let go. We have to relinquish control. We also have to accept and acknowledge our own limitations. In Mark 4, Jesus says, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. If you want to plant something and you want it to grow, you don't need to know the mechanics, the biology of germination, of photosynthesis, of pollination in order for it to grow. If you want to achieve something bigger than yourself, you have to let go and you have to accept that you are not in control. That there is something bigger than us at play. And that's hard, isn't it? That requires us to take steps of faith. That requires us to sometimes let go of things that are valuable to us, things that we cling on to that we don't want to let go of. There is a cost involved. There is sometimes risk involved. The fear of failure can become real, can't it? When we have to step out and do things that we feel God is calling us to do. Next question, why do we need to seek the kingdom of God? You might be thinking, James, all of that, that stuff sounds really hard, letting go, relinquishing control, walking in faith, putting God first, saying, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Why should I? Why should I seek the kingdom of God? Because it's better. It is better. God's plan, God's purpose for your life is so much better than anything that you can do by yourself. 
Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Ephesians 3.20 says, To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all we can ask or imagine. If a Hollywood studio came to you and said, we want to we make a biopic of your life, of your story, and you can either just take the budget and film it yourself, act in yourself, direct it yourself, edit it yourself, or we can get Steven Spielberg to come and direct it, or we can get an Oscar-winning, good-looking actor to come and play the part of you, what would you choose? You would choose to put it in the hands of the experts, wouldn't you? God's plan for your life is so much bigger, is so much better than your own. I know you've been in a season where you've been looking at the story of Jonah. When we go our own way, when we turn our back on God, when we try and do it all for ourselves, we sometimes find ourselves in a storm, don't we? God's ways are so much better than our own. Why should we seek the kingdom of God? Because it's transformational. Paul says in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we seek God's face, as we put him first, we start to think his thoughts. We start to do the things that he's called us to do. And in doing that, we see transformation inside of us start to take place. Seeking the kingdom of God is transformational. When you reach out and help someone, when you serve God, when you put other people first... So often the biggest transformation is not in the person that you're trying to help, it's in you. Why should we seek the kingdom of God? Because it is relational. Romans 8, Paul talks about us being called children. God calls us his children. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. This is a God who wants to know you, who likes you. Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that we could live in relationship with the Father. It says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is not a tyrant that is ruling over us where we're perpetually scared of them telling us to do things that we don't want to do. This is a loving Father. This is a relational God. The more and more we surrender, the more and more we let go, the freer we actually become. Why should we seek the kingdom of God? Because it is empowering. Right from the beginning in Genesis 1, God said, let us create man in our own image so for, in order for him to rule. You were born to rule. You were born to reign. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about us being Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is an authorised diplomat sent by a state as its representative in a foreign country. When you put God first, you, first you are issued with a heavenly passport that gets you in places. You, are, you have authority. You have been given authority. God doesn't want to do it for you. He wants to do it through you. God doesn't need our help. He created the heavens and the earth without any help from any of us. 
He's perfectly capable, but he chooses us. He chooses to partner with us. He chooses to do things through us because he wants us to share in the delight of the fruits of the harvest. You might be thinking, that's great, but the kingdom of God seems so big. How, how do I seek it? Where do I start? What do I need to do? You know, we live in a culture, don't we, that's a kind of uh, promotes an all or nothing mindset. Go big or go home. And we can feel overwhelmed. You might be feeling overwhelmed today. That list of things to do, the things that we're worried about, the things that are weighing us down at the moment might be, might be feeling really heavy for you today. And adding another thing to that might, might seem like just one extra thing that you just can't deal with right now. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Even the smallest seed from that can grow the mightiest of trees. The kingdom of God is like yeast. Even the smallest amount kneaded into the dough and the whole dough will rise. Our culture says go big or go home. But I think Jesus is saying start small and keep going. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are not the words of a tyrant. That is a loving father speaking to his children. How do we seek the kingdom of God? We need to make room. We need to make space for God in our lives. That might just be five minutes here and there to begin with. But if we've been asking for God, something from God and not receiving it, is it because we haven't been making room for it? Is it because we haven't been making space for it? Are we making space in our hearts for God to move? Are we making space in our home for God to move in our community? Are we investing in it? You know, we often talk about sacrifice. If you're giving to a charity, if you're uh, uh, releasing something, it's a sacrifice. You're letting go of something. You're giving something up. But actually what you're doing is investing in something. You're investing in something else. You're investing in another life. You're investing in the kingdom of God to manifest itself to the ends of the earth. How can we seek the kingdom of God? A great place to start is to pray. Tyler Staten in his excellent book, Living Like Monks, Praying Like Fools, says this, the assumption of biblical prayer is that God's action always precedes my request. The aim is not to get God in what I think he should be doing. Rather, the aim of prayer is to get us in on what God is doing it. Become aware of it and join it and enjoy the fruit of participation. Friends, God is moving. The question is, do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to get involved? Do you want to make that investment? One thing I've found is that God loves to surprise his children. When we stay focused on him, you know, the, 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 the second half of Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 
what are all these things? It's all the stuff. It's life. It's all the things that we worry about. It's all the things that we spend our time thinking about and stressing over. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I know about all that stuff. I care about all that stuff. But keep your eyes fixed on me and walk with me and we'll sort all of that stuff out along the way. Just keep your eyes focused on me. God loves to surprise his children. I would have never, ever suggested that my son give himself a haircut an hour before he was due to go to an important event last Saturday. But you know what? To see him smiling on the way in and to feel him give me a fist bump and say, thanks, Dad, as he left the car, I wouldn't change that for the world. Sometimes we have to embrace the interruptions. When I was... um, when I first started with Compassion, I had the opportunity to travel to Ghana and to visit a number of the projects uh, that, that we work with there, a number of the church partners. It's incredible to see churches in different contexts. Some of them were in the city, some of them on the edge of the city, some of them were out in the, in the rural communities. And it was amazing to see the, the, the different challenges that they faced and the way that the church was just rising to meet those challenges. But the best part of my trip was I had the opportunity to meet two of the children that my family and I sponsor. This is Kingsford and Eliza. Uh, and I got the opportunity to meet with them and to spend a precious few moments uh, getting to know them and, and just finding out a bit more about them. And we met them in this children's activity centre. Uh, in this place, there was, a, there was a playground, there was a swing and a slide and a trampoline. And we encouraged them. We said, hey, go and play, go and have some fun. And Kingsford, he ran off. And he jumped on the swing and he was swinging back and forward. But Eliza went and sat on the swing and just sat there. She wasn't doing anything. She was just watching Kingsford. I later found out that this seven-year-old girl had not only never been on a swing before, she'd never even seen one, didn't really know what it was. So I approached her and I said, hey, would it, would it be okay if I pushed you? And she kind of looked at me a bit funny and reluctantly agreed, and she was clinging on to this swing for dear life to begin with. And I started to push her really gently at first. But after a few moments, I could sense that her, her body was starting to relax and she was, she was getting into it a bit. And, and so I started pushing her a bit higher and a bit higher. And she seemed to be enjoying it more and more, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I gave her a really big push, and she was going really, really fast, really, really high. And she started to laugh. She started to laugh, this uncontrollable, joyous laughter as she experienced this sensation for the first time. And as this was happening, I had this such profound sense of God's presence, this profound sense of privilege that I had an opportunity to share in a moment with this little girl, just to be a little part of her story for that day. And that's what sponsoring is about. It's about joining in with the local church, joining in with a family, joining in with the volunteers locally and say, yeah, I want to be part of this too. I want to play a part in your story too, to somebody that needs our help. I've got a video that I'd love to share with you now. And this just, this just shows not only what impacts that can be had in the life of a child, but also how that cascades out into the family and the community as well. Let's check it out. I grew up in this place. I saw these things happen in my community. 
at the very young age, I am exposed to drug selling, drug abuse, and drug running. Lorega is a ring in the air. If you say Lorega, then people will always associate you with drug addiction, with prostitution. Child protection is really one of the most important thing that we, uh, partners of Compassion, can do to help the child. I asked them what are the dreams. And most of the mother cried. So I changed the question and I said, okay, if you don't have a dream for yourself, what is your dream for your children? And they cry more. And uh, after talking to more than 200 parents, I can't sleep. I can't sleep because imagining and thinking about I will be ministering to this place where people don't have really dreams. When I was young, I don't have any hope. But then when I came to know the Lord, it makes something new. He molded me into a beautiful one because of the hope that He gave me. It's really my dream that they can really be released from poverty in all aspects and can be an influencer in their community. I am now a teacher, so now, I can teach more students. I can teach more children, mothers, because God teach me. And I want to use my life as a living testimony to those people who don't know Christ yet. Lorega now is totally different. Before, Edwin taxi driver will not come inside Lorega. Shooting every day. But Lorega now is uh, totally open with the gospel. I am here standing in front of you because I am one of those children. My sponsor was from the U.S. Through her, I am now a graduate student of the Bible School. I always dream with our children because their lives have been giving hope in the community. When other children will see them, it inspires others. Compassion International, the staff, the caseworker, plays a major role to instill into the child that there is hope in spite of poverty. And Lorega now is a, is a better place than before. I can say that God is my Redeemer. God is my cornerstone. And He has done beautiful things in my life. So good. Angelica, who you saw in that video, when she came to faith and her dad saw the change in her he too came to faith which is really incredible because he was actually one of the drug runners that uh, she was referring to she had drug dealers living in her home and through her journey of faith through her local church with compassion not only did she change but her family changed dramatically as well and as you can see those ripples go out into the community from a community where taxi drivers wouldn't even go into to i love what pastor david said said Lorega is a better place now. And that's what we, we want to do. We want to help to transform individual lives. We want to help to transform families and turn communities into better places in spite of the poverty that they're living in. And so we now have an opportunity to be part of that. Um,
we have an opportunity as individuals um, to be involved in making life better for these these children and for um, helping to be a small part in making these communities better as well. Um, and we might not be able to go, but we can still support. And the way that happens is through sponsorship. So do you want to explain a bit about how child sponsorship works? Yeah, so we have um, some profiles with us. Um, I always kind of look through the profiles that I bring and one of them invariably stands out to me and I, I was convicted not to choose the ones with easy names to pronounce. So this is Saw Sir Hakur Pal Saw. Um, so he's eight years old. He lives in Thailand uh, and on the inside there's some more information about him. He lives with his mom uh, and he's really interested in, in um, playing games and also art and drawing as well. So we have children here, um, 20 of them, that are looking for a sponsor. They are waiting to be sponsored. And so it would be incredible if we could get as many of those connected up with a sponsor today, get them good news this week. Hey, great news, you've got a sponsor. And for all the benefits that come with that around education, around health, around food security, about being known, loved and connected, all of those things in, in the Maslow hierarchy of needs, all of those boxes to be stacked on top of one another and most of all that they know the love of an incredible God that has an, an amazing plan for their lives. And for people who want to sponsor, what is the what's, what does that involve? being a sponsor so being a sponsor it costs 32 pounds a month so just a little over a pound a day so when we talked about uh, people living on less than one pound 75 a day you're investing a pound many of the, the communities we work in people live on a lot less than that so in effect that investment of a pound a day could be doubling the household income of a family so it's a it's a huge you know sponsoring a child isn't just a nice thing to do it's not just a gesture to make us feel better it can make a transformational difference in the life of a family and a community uh when you connect with your child um you can write letters to them and they will write letters back to you uh, we have an app so you can do that on an app you can write a letter in just a um, a few minutes, we got a letter from one of our children in Bolivia and uh, she sent us pictures of her dog. And so we sent, I took a little picture of our dog Gizmo and sent it back to her and it took 20 seconds to do. So if you if you like writing handwritten letters and that's your thing, you can do that. You're welcome to do that. But if you, you just want to have something that's quick and easy on your phone, download the app and you can send your letters on the app and you'll get regular updates and just be able to share and be a part of their journey. Fantastic. And so what I think I want us to do is I want us to respond. I want us to sing, I think. So would church, would you stand if you're comfortable to stand? And we're going to respond in worship. The response is always to worship. And then after that, I'm going to give you an opportunity um, to stick your hand up and receive a profile and be part of responding and be part of sponsoring these children. Um, and so maybe in this song, you need to chat to your partner. Maybe in this song, you need to grab someone else and say, come on, let's get in on this together. Um, but we're called as the people of God to invest in the kingdom of God. Whatever that looks like. Yeah, look, there's no pressure. There's no obligation for you to do. This is, this is if you feel God speaking to you this morning, if you felt him squeeze your heart, if you feel that still small voice, we'd encourage you to respond to that. But... There's no pressure, there's no obligation, there's no guilt, there's no shame.